We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you with us today. Ivy Nation Sports Talk. We're up and rolling along with Jesse Styers. I'm Sean Styers. He's got his cup of tea working on it there, trying to cure the common cold today. Feeling a little bit better anyway. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, the last few days I've had a horrible kind of chest cold, chest cough. And then when you're coughing so hard, you start to form kind of a headache because of all the pressure um, on your head. So yeah, I just been a little under the weather recently, but drinking a lot of tea, drank some cough syrup last night, been using these Ricola cough drops. So had to make sure that I that the voice sounded good for tonight's t- tonight's show. Yes. And as Salty says, we're the only show today on the Irish Breakdown channel. There is uh no no Driscoll shows. Uh, Brian and Vince did two shows yesterday with uh my show, IB Nation Sports Talk in between and already calls for the whiteboard whiteboard Wednesday says Anthony I wanted to start off Jess kind of giving you you know we're going to talk mostly about the defense today but you know since Anthony brings this up I I, you know I've got to give you props I I tweeted this during the game some of the stuff you drew up on the whiteboards in the last couple of weeks we saw in the Gator Bowl, including yeah, they used uh, a lot of that motion. You saw it with Tyree on a big third down, where they they literally motioned yep. him out to the to the opposite of the three three wide receiver set, motioned him back to the backfield just to see what the coverage was looking like. And again, I, I know it's simple, but that was the main thing I was kind of harping on is for someone like Buckner, when you want to understand coverage and what's going on pre snap, he did exactly that. They did a ton of pre-snap motion, you know, not just that play, but they were doing it a lot for exactly what you were talking about. Let Tyler Buckner see what the defense is doing. Are they zone? Are they man? You know, does a defender follow that guy in motion? And they did a lot of that, a lot of pre-snap motion and movement as well. And like one wasn't necessarily motion, but just 
the the first Tyler Buckner touchdown run, they had uh, you know Morgan. You know, they they had like guys in the backfield and lined up tight, and then he spread everybody out. And what happened when he spread everybody out? I don't know if you remember this because we didn't talk about this. There was a there was a safety sitting back there. First, the safety creeped up to the middle of the field. Then all of a sudden, he was over to Tyler Buckner's right. Basically, the whole middle of the field opened up when he spread all the wide receivers out. And so what did he do? Quarterback draw. He takes it in for a touchdown. Just so much of that stuff. And like the Logan Diggs play, that is a play that specifically you drew up where you've got the slot. And in that case, it was Matt Salerno. You bring the slot from uh, the, you know, the right slot motion into the backfield, heading the other direction, and then you leak Logan Diggs out into that vacated spot. Boom, it ends up being a uh, 75-yard touchdown. So kudos to Jesse and the whiteboard for all the stuff that he drew up prior to the Gator Bowl. I'm glad some of it came to fruition because then I just hey. like a guy that's just talking for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> that's right but i you know again i love the way and it wasn't just that touchdown run i love the way they manipulated the box at times just by you know maybe subtly pushing a wide receiver a little bit farther out because they had like a bunch formation a couple of times where they'd have three receivers and then they'd spread them and again they would see how the defense would respond and then they would take advantage of it you know like we you know, we talk about tommy reese and the offensive we we did see Really good Tommy Reese, with the exception of, you know, the one play that everybody wants to talk about, of course, you know, being the second pick six. So a lot of good stuff that we saw. But, uh, you know, again, we saw it on the whiteboard. Hey, hit that like button if you would here in the, the YouTube channel. Subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast platforms. It helps out Irish Breakdown greatly. We're over 13,000 YouTube subscribers now. I think we came up something like 2,000 subscribers over the course of this season. So keep doing it. Keep rating, reviewing, subscribing, commenting, sharing, all that great stuff. Help the Irish Breakdown channel grow and basically bring you more shows throughout the year. So that's what it does when you help spread the word. We appreciate it. So we, we talked a lot about Tyler Buckner and the offense Vince and I did on yesterday's show. Jess, how about Al Golden's defense? We only really touched on it a little bit. How do you come away from this Gator Bowl feeling about Al Golden's defense? You know, I've I've been one of the, the people who, I guess, hasn't been as hard on Al Golden throughout this season as maybe some others or many others, you know, may have been. And I, I think it, it's a tribute to his first year in the system. It's a tribute to a lot of these players being the first year in, you know, Al Golden's system. And I know that a lot of defenses are similar at the end of the day, but when you're going between three different defensive coordinators in a span of three years, that's going to be hard, you know, no matter what. That can't go mm -hmm. um, unnoticed or, or not talked about. So I thought that Al Golden's defense was a solid unit all year. And, you know, despite kind of the early struggles that they faced against South Carolina, I thought that Al Golden's defense is ultimately what ended up winning this game for Notre Dame in the second half, uh, being able to shut down North Carolina and, and really just – just uh, honestly, just it dwindled on down. The offensive, uh, you know, output was was uh, it, it got lower and lower every quarter, and that's exactly what you want to do when you're trying to finish out a team. So I thought the defense made the necessary adjustments after kind of getting toasted early in the game and really shut it down and ultimately sealed the deal uh, for Notre Dame's victory. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, D-Rock points out tackling in open space needs improvement big time. Uh, it, it, That's not a coaching flaw. We saw that throughout the season. I felt like, you know, again, there were some issues early on. It definitely got better throughout the course of the game, you know, specific to the Gator Bowl. Because, uh, you know, a lot of times you see teams take a month off and you see just horrendous tackling in bowl games. I, you know, and again, USC. there was some of that. Yeah, well, yeah, that's exactly right. USC was just atrocious and you know one thing that's important i think to keep in mind when you look at okay south carolina scored 38 points obviously 17 of that only 17 of that came from the defense because you had two pick sixes and of course the special teams touchdown so that's 21 of the 38 points only 17 points came from al golden's defense and you talked about the yardage for south carolina dropped every quarter from 154 in the first quarter to 98, 68, 32. It got incrementally, you know, better for Notre Dame, worse for them. The first half total, 252 total first half yards on 45 plays, 5.6 per play. Second half, 100 yards on 28 plays, just 3.6 per play. Why do you think they were able to do so much better? What, you know, were there any specific adjustments that you saw over the course of, of the game? You know, honestly, outside of X's and O's, because you can get into, you know, formationally what they're doing and that kind of stuff. But the main thing I noticed, and I, I was tell, talking to you about this early in the game, is everyone just seemed so not 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 prepared, but it looked like South Carolina was giving them looks that they weren't really prepared for. And you saw a lot of Notre Dame guys kind of flying around pre-snap and as there the ball was some being confusion. snapped there was definitely right. more confusion early so guys on. were trying to get yeah. lined up early in the first quarter guys were trying to figure out you know what the strength was uh, of the formation it just to me it felt like as the game went on they became more comfortable and the thing that you do on the defense at least when I was playing in college is you got a guy on the sideline with a whiteboard the entire time I'm sure they either have that up in the press box or you know someone is tracking every play what South Carolina comes out in formation pre-snap motion, all of that stuff, what the play is, you know, pass run, da-da-da-da-da. And so I think Notre Dame wasn't really prepared for some of those things in the beginning, and formationally they were having a hard time lining up. And when you're not formationally lined up, you're going to get gashed or gouged for some plays because it just takes one guy not being in the right gap in order for the whole scheme to kind of go uh, astray. So I think throughout the game, and especially at halftime, 
they really sat down and said, okay, we now have a better understanding of what they're trying to execute. How are we going to adjust our defense and better lineup? And you didn't see those, those issues as much in the second half, like guys kind of flying around, not knowing when to line up, you know, that kind of stuff. So I felt like they became more comfortable as the game went on and they were doing a better job of recognizing what South Carolina was doing offensively. Yeah. South Carolina scored on three of its first four offensive possessions, total of 17 points on three of their first four possessions. Then after that, they punted on six of their last nine possessions. And then, you know, Ben Morrison has the interception in that stretch as well at the end of the first half, six interceptions for Morrison, the first in 10 years since Manti Teo. And then when you look at the entirety of the season, Golden's defense held 11 of the 13 teams they played under what those teams averaged in scoring for the season. The only teams that scored more than their season average against the Irish. Do you have any idea who it is off the top of your head? I didn't share this note with you. Um, Here to guess. Above their season average. I know USC scores must have averaged a lot of points. So that's probably the obvious answer, but I feel like it's not USC. So USC um, was just a shade under. I'm actually going to probably say like Stanford or Marshall, to be honest with you. Uh, Marshall is one of them. The other, Navy. Of course. <laughs> of course. Navy, you know, the second half and the one-off. It was not Stanford. Stanford actually ended up, you know, they scored, what, 16 points that day? And here, hang on just a sec. Fortunately, I left this sitting right by. Stanford Stanford actually averaged 32 points a game. I don't know how, but they only scored 16 against the Irish. And, of course, they won. You know, that, that game was much more on the offense than it was the defense. And, uh, yeah, so amazingly, um, yeah, USC averages 41.4 points per game. They scored 38 against Notre Dame. Navy averaged only 22 points per game. They scored 32 against the Irish. Now, Marshall, the one the one thing with Marshall is, so they scored 26. They ended up averaging 24.4 at the time that was game three for them. That was still the lowest that Marshall had scored at that point. But of course, you know, Marshall went on, wasn't exactly <laughs> the world beater that we thought they would, but it, it's still only two teams on Notre Dame's entire schedule um, managed to score above what their season average was. You know, Golden held 11 of the, Golden in that defense held 11 of the 13 teams below their scoring average. I think the biggest thing that you look at when you look at this defense, though, his first defense, especially as you look at where can they improve next year, there's no doubt that the red zone scoring is the biggest area where they have to get better next year with with, with all the red zone scores that they gave up. You know, you you pointed out before, teams don't get into the red zone a lot against them, but when they do get into the red zone, they typically find their way into the end zone, and that's something, especially as you look at your okay now. You can you can be nine and four this season, but as you go forward and you're looking at you know are 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 we going to be back in the championship picture, college football playoff picture, New Year six, whatever it happens to be, that's the area that has to drastically change and improve next year. Yeah, the, so you brought up. I, I kind of went through. I have a, a multitude of different stats that I'd like to kind of go through um, and that point out the kind of good and bad of Notre Dame's defense, and you hit 
on some of the bad the bad already is the red zone defense efficiency. Um, another another area I'd like to see Notre Dame improve in uh, is more turnovers generated. They picked it up on the back half of the season, but that was specifically Definitely. kind of one person. You know, Ben Ben Morris really. I think they ended with 10 interceptions and five fumble recoveries and Morrison had 60% of those interceptions. So he yeah. he's, he's creating almost, you know, 40, 40% of those turnovers himself. So I would love to see the defense one, be better in the red zone, create more turnovers. And another area that I thought they were really bad at is they were, they were ranked 50th in the country on third down uh, efficiency as well. I think that's another big area. That's when you're trying to get off the field Um and really what extends drives and kind of wears down your team. So that's another area that I'd love to see Notre Dame do better in is their third down efficiency. But now on to the good stuff. You know, Notre Dame on first down offense was 28th and best in the country. That's pretty good. Uh, pass yards given up, they were 23rd in the country. Um, you know, 37th and rush yards given up. You'd like to see that number a little bit better, but that's still pretty solid uh, yeah. in the grand, grand scheme of things. They're 16th in total sacks. Um, I know a lot of people got on, you know, Notre Dame's defensive line coach. Uh, they were still 16th in total sacks this season. Uh, they were. Uh, helps when you've got Isaiah Foskey with the sacks he ended up with, with right. 11 plus. So that helps. And so what are you going to see output wise, you know, once, once he's gone. Um, and another, th- another impressive stat that I saw was they averaged 22 or sorry, 23 points per game on defense. That's, it's a pretty solid number. If you tell, most colleges these days, especially, <coughs> excuse me. If you tell most, you know, college offenses that you just need to score over 23 points this game, I think they would take that challenge, right? That's three touchdowns and a field goal. You average around 10, 11, 12 possessions per game. I think that's very doable. So, you know, overall, grand scheme of things, I thought Notre Dame's defense was a top 30 maybe even top 25 defense in the country, you know, with all those stats combined. So again, a very solid output uh, by Al Golden's defense this, this year. And specifically, there was another point I wanted to get into very quickly regarding the bowl game. You know, South Carolina scored sometime in the third quarter. It might be midway towards the end of the third quarter to go up 31 to 24. Right. And in the ensuing position or possession, Buckner throws an interception and South Carolina gets the ball on Notre Dame's 41 after just scoring a touchdown. Yeah. It's a very tough spot to be in because they, this held. Is, they held them in a very crucial situation because I think if South Carolina scores another touchdown in that instance, this game might not end in a victory for Notre Dame because you're going up two possessions and now we're going into the fourth quarter. So I thought that was a very crucial stand. And that's, that's something that's practiced often, you know, with these, with these teams is sudden changes, right? Like, an interception, and now you're suddenly on defense after you just gave up, you know, a touchdown before that. So that was a specific instance in the second half where I really felt like, you know, Al Golden, the defense, shut it down and really provided for their team. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, they again, they stepped up big in the second half. They forced punt after punt after punt. They only gave up the one touchdown in the second half, and even that one was disputed. We talked about it yesterday, you know, that – the, the the side of the end zone, whether or not you know, it sure looked to a lot of us like that uh, chalk on the outside line moved, you know, when they zoomed in on his foot. But I agree with what some other people said. It was very blurry and probably too hard to tell definitively exactly, you know, what happened there. But the bottom line is the defense played lights out in the second half for the most part. And that that stand that you're talking about really was a, a, a swing 
stand when you look at at how the game played out to to give up the ball you know where the other team gets the ball in plus territory and you end up holding that was huge for the outcome of the game um the secondary i mean you look at what's coming back in the secondary you don't have that you know if you want to call brandon joseph a high-end safety you don't have that but i mean you look at um you know they they ended up starting dj and they started xavier watts back there at safety in that game and xavier watts played a really good game you know that that kind of flew under the radar a little bit the fact that watts was back there starting after he started off the season like is he even going to stay at safety is he going to go to wide receiver and so now you've got you know basically the the entire secondary coming back led by cam hart who didn't even play in that game now you're going to lose Tariq bracy obviously but you're going to have Hart, you're going to have Morrison, Jade Mickey with some experience under his belt. You know, looks like he would be the potential natural fit as as the nickelback next year. So that keeps looking better and better. I mean, it's like, you know, the secondary has been something that's been a concern more times than not over the years here at Notre Dame. And now you're looking at it and it's like you can't help but be excited about this secondary coming back next season. Yeah, I think in terms of like the hierarchy of concerns on defense, one, two, and three, number one concern for me is the output at defensive line. Uh, number two is going to be what what linebacker rotation works the best. And the least of my concerns is what's going on in the secondary because they've been playing lights out with a lot of young players. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the I think the front – is you know is going to be one of the bigger questions, and a lot of people talking about Al Washington between the development as well as you know the the recruiting. But like P Dub says, bottom line, you got to get some three hundred plus pounders. You've, it's it's amazing how kind of undersized that interior of the defensive line has been. And, you know, and I'm thinking about Al Washington, and I think we need to kind of give this a little bit of time before we can really judge him because one thing about Mike Elston like you talk about the development that Mike Elston had but he had an eye for you know those those lower four and and the three-star guys he could bring in and develop guys who were going to take a little bit of time to develop but he had a specific eye for what he was looking for in those guys and what I wonder right now was some of the pieces that are there on the defensive line. Like I, I think back to my time when I was doing the play-by-play with Notre Dame baseball, when Paul Maneri was there, because Paul, you know, very similarly had a specific eye for the kind of kid that he wanted to bring in. And when he would recruit these guys, he would tell them, and, you know, and, and a lot, a lot of, you know, very under the radar type guys I'm talking about, not a bunch of, higher end guys, because what he would do is he would invest more of his scholarship money because the way baseball works, he would invest more of his scholarship money into the pitching. And then he would have to find diamond in the rough type players kind of along the lines of what Mike Elston would did or would do. And he would tell them, this is what I see you being when you come to Notre Dame, you know, like other people might not necessarily see this, but this is what I see. And this is what you can become at Notre Dame. And then when Paul Maneri left, there were some of these guys who were obviously left on the roster. A new coaching staff took over. And, you know, like these kids were telling the new coaching staff, well, this is what Paul Maneri 
told me. And they were like, I don't see that at all. You know, so I just feel like maybe, maybe Mike Elston's specific eye for some of these things hasn't necessarily translated for Al Washington yet. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I still think a lot is still to be proven for a lot of different aspects of this defense. I know, like I said, this is Al Golan's first year. I thought he had a solid year, but you can't really judge a guy off of such a small sample size. And that's really how I feel about Al Washington, too, is, you know, once we start seeing kind of his, his recruit cycle in, his, you know, what he does – in more years, you know, year two, year three, defensively, schematically wise, while also, you know, developing these younger players, that's when we can start drawing conclusions. And I know that's easy to say now because you don't want, because you don't want it to get too late, right? Like you don't want year three and four to be bad still. And then you've kind of wasted time and allowed it to be something that negatively impacts the overall defense. But again, I still think that there's, there's something to be said for giving someone time to kind of grow into the position themselves because he's you know the, the the position group and how it was coached was molded in such a way and now he's coming to take over you got to give him his time to kind of put his flair or you know twist or spin on things at the same time yeah taylor's uh, wrong one taylor said what team ran all over us this year besides quarterbacks i mean usc if you remember usc had a lot more success running the football than anyone thought they were going yes. to have and you know ran all over them i don't know but they definitely they're the one that i think they ended up didn't they ended up running for over 200 yards in that game I it wasn't all so. it wasn't all caleb williams so you know that was the one to me but again that was i, I don't necessarily put that all on you know the the defensive line and the defensive line coach that had more to do i think with the fact that Al Golden obviously switched up his scheme a little bit and thought that he was going to to try to stop Caleb Williams from a passing standpoint, and it kind of backfired mm -hmm. on him. You know, I think that had more to do with it than anything. What'd you think of the young linebackers, Jalen Sneed and Prince Kali? <laughs> I, you know, there was there was good and bad. You know, it, like when you look at at Jalen Sneed, I was watching the game again. You know, I watched it live. I watched it went through and, and watched it more a little bit more for the offense than the defense but I, i've been spent the last day or so watching more defensive stuff you know there was a big there was a big pass play where jalen sneed you know just lets the tight end go in the end you know and he ends up chasing that tight end down the middle of the field i think it was the one where you know it ended up being the fake kick that ended up being a touchdown i think it was that particular drive what start with him what what would you think about what you saw from sneed you know, this is a very interesting topic because a lot of people, rightfully so, have been, I'd almost say, demanding that Prince Kali and Jalen Sneed get more playing time. And what you have to realize is, yes, the athleticism is there and the athleticism in space is there. But there's something to be said about guys who line up correctly every play. They set the defense because at linebacker, you're setting the defense. You're setting your, your run strength. Um, and then also you have, you know, past responsibilities as well. I don't think that they played a bad game. I don't think that they played a great game, but you saw a lot of mental mistakes that were probably expected for younger players and specifically for guys who haven't had played that much this season. I think that is a very large contributor to why they haven't been playing. Jalen Sneed had at least two personal foul penalties those that's 30 yards and automatic first downs can't be doing those. 
And on the play you talked about, he bit on play action when he has man responsibility on that tight end, gets sucked up and has to backtrack. And now they get a big gain on it. I'm pretty sure that was on a third down as well yeah. on just a tight end seam, you know, up the field. And so, again, are they going to make mistakes? Yes, but you can't make personal foul mistakes and you can't make, you know, formational mistakes where you're trying to set the defense. Because if you set the defense wrong or you don't align to strength or you set the wrong strength, then the whole scheme is could be, be thrown in the trash, essentially, because you are prepared for where, you know, where you're setting strength and where you're setting strength determines where everyone's going to line up. You know, the, the defensive line is going to have different shades. The linebackers are going to be maybe four yards off the ball or five yards off the ball. They might be in the A gap, the B gap, you know, whatever it might be. Those are very important things. And so when guys can't do those things and they're making kind of silly, you know, 15 yard penalties, those are the reasons why they don't have much com- The coaches don't have as much confidence playing them, even though that they show, you know, obvious, more natural ability, I would say. How much do you think just getting the more extensive play that that Sneed got, how much do you think that helps him as he goes into the spring and then looking toward next year as he potentially, you know, battles for more playing time? No, and I think that was a big benefit of him getting to play in this bowl game, especially, you know, this is this was probably his greatest usage of the season. And it was in the game that theoretically matters the most, right? Like outside of maybe Ohio state and USC, but this is the bowl game. This is the acclimation of the entire season in one game. So like I said before, this is the bowl game is kind of like your final exam. So what has Jalen Sneed learned throughout the duration of this entire season, his entire freshman year, and how does it translate to the field? Well, I think that even if he didn't play to his, you know, best ability, stats wise and personal foul wise and all that stuff he at least builds his confidence and knows that he can do it and can kind of get these kind of errors out of his system right because they're going to happen to whoever regardless no one walks out there and is the perfect player their first time at it yeah and the one thing that surprised me a little bit about Jalen Sneed is they they had him do some different things in that game where like they would line him up just on the edge and had him rushing. And sometimes he got pushed around a little bit. And then obviously, like we were talking about, you know, in coverage, he blew a man to man assignment against the tight end. But, but I, I was a little bit surprised just the amount of times they put him on the edge and tried to have him rush the quarterback rather than just have him play out there as a true Rover type guy. But I don't know. Let me find this comment. From Tyler, what did you think about this? Tyler said linebackers were in bad position and terrible gap fillers. Uh, are we talking specifically this game? Are we talking, you know, throughout the season? I, I do think throughout the season, these linebackers struggled with gap fills and being able to, to finish plays as tacklers. I think that was a very bad strength of, of these linebackers. I, I think that was the biggest weakness of this linebacker group is guys could potentially get to the hole, but they're not, you know, they're not they're not filling tackle or making the tackles, and then sometimes they're getting to the hole too late. But they're they're kind of cleaning up tackles. It never felt like it was a true fill the gap, make a strong tackle all in one. Yeah, like I, I think that there was some of that in the Gator Bowl early on. But again, I think it was because South Carolina was throwing so much new stuff out there, trying to confuse Notre Dame, and it did cause some confusion. That's where they had some success. But once they once they figured some things out formationally and, and everything else. And like, you know, I, I realize everyone likes to rip J.D. Bertrand, but J.D. Bertrand had a great game 
in the Gator Bowl. You know, like you talk about tackling in space and open field and all those different things. J.D. Bertrand, like he was the one who knew where he was supposed to be. And he's, you know, trying to move guys around and all that. You know, again, I don't think you can probably take, you know, probably the first, you know, four or so possessions. You've got to kind of remove that a little bit because that's when, they were all out there trying to figure things out together, both the coaching staff and the players, because there was so much different personnel than they were used to seeing in different formations than what they were used to seeing. And, and South Carolina was just kind of throwing the kitchen sink at them, trying to confuse them, you know, going with some gadgets and some different things like that. But as the game went on, J.D. Bertrand once again ends up being the leading tackler and made a lot of really good plays out there. Yeah, and I kind of want to – talk a little bit about this Anthony Solomon comment I find it odd that the position on defense that struggled the most had Golden Freeman and Laronitis as coaches and I completely agree with that it's but I think that shows the dual complexity of how hard it is to play linebacker and I'm not just saying that out of biasy you know defensive linemen 90% of the time are concerned about one thing right stopping the run or rushing the passer like they don't have to worry about pass coverage you know they're they're, they're getting they, how fast can they get to the guy with the ball essentially is their job secondary. They're probably 90, 90% pass except for maybe, you know, if a swing play is on the edge or if a safety has to come down and fill the gap, they, they might be 80, 85, 90%, you know, passes their primary concern. But when you're playing linebacker, every play is 50, 50 pass or run and equal responsibilities. You know, you have to be here on run and you have to be here on pass and in a new defense and a, probably a defense that is at a high level because it's, you know, Al Golins, he comes from the NFL. He's going to have a defense that's a little more nuanced. I think it just shows how hard it is to play linebacker, no matter if you have Marcus Freeman, Laronitis, Al Golden all teaching you things. It's hard to play linebacker at that level because you have so many responsibilities that you have to, you have to set the defense. Yeah. You have to be worried about pass. You have to be worried about run. There's a lot going on in a span of not that much time. And so, I just think the the more these guys get comfortable and had gotten comfortable throughout the season, the more we saw their performance improve. And I think that's only going to be carried over into next season, especially for someone like who JD Bertrand, who had drastic improvement, had a great bowl game to, you know, to, to punctuate his season. And now he's going to be, you know, coming back again next season. So I think you're going to see a, a great improvement out of the linebacker group next season. What do you think about Prince Kali? We got to see uh, some more of him out there in the Gator Bowl too. Yeah, I thought again, Prince Kali did some things that were very good, but again, there was there were reasons why he, you know, at, at, even though people wanted to see him play more, there were things that were holding him back. And I'm sure everyone saw it in the first quarter because I've seen it here in the chat. You know, Marcus Freeman was was more involved in on the defense, and when Prince Kali came off the field, you I can't remember what it was. He was involved. getting right. He was getting an earful. It was the play. It was the play where they ended up fumbling on the near side, but Kali, you know, was lucky get in position on the far side. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're they're fortunate they didn't go the other direction with the ball. Exactly. So what Marcus Freeman was, you know, this is my speculation, but I'm I'm pretty confident in what Marcus Freeman was getting on him about is because you could see him kind of you, you know using these gestures. Marcus Freeman is he's basically telling Kali, you don't know what the strength of the formation is, and you're completely aligned, you know, lined up wrong. And if they had not fumbled that play, there's a large chance that that play breaks for a lot of yards. And so again, it goes back to if you can't get lined up uh, as a linebacker pre-snap, you are an automatic 
what's the word? You automatically are putting your defense at a deficit because even if it doesn't have to be a great play, just one guy out of place, the whole play can break. And so yeah. that's what Marcus Freeman was getting on him about. And again, that's why just lining up is half the battle, setting the strength of the defense and knowing where you line up is the other half of the battle at the same time. So again, I thought both those guys showed a lot of great things, but they also showed a lot of rookie mistakes and those are what have been holding them back this season. Yeah. And that's, you know, the more they got out there, the more you kind of saw, okay, you know, this, this is obviously why they're not out there more. They're still as talented as they are. There's still growth and learning for these guys to do. So, but again, that's what you've got a whole off season now for. And the fact that they've been in this system for a year and everyone else, I think you might've mentioned it. The fact that your third defensive coordinator in, in three years, and even maybe as similar as the systems appear to everybody else, that's still a lot to relearn on a year to year basis, even for the veterans. Yeah. And I, I guess what I'll close with specifically to Snead and Kali is I respect and I admire the coach's willingness to put those guys out there because they could have simply just said, we're going to roll with our guys. And they probably could have got the job done, right? Like Maris, Bertrand, Kaiser, all those guys could have got the job done, but they wanted and they made an emphasis to get these guys in there. And I think that, yes. And I think that's a big, you know, a big step in development and advancement. And I don't know that we would see the same under the previous regime, I I guess is what I'm saying also. So I very much admire the, the defensive staff willing to roll the dice and letting these young guys get this experience out there in a game that has a lot of, you know, riding on it. It's a bowl game against an SEC opponent. Both teams are eight and four. Getting to nine wins and setting, you know, the tone for the next season is very crucial. So I admire the, the coaching staff for rolling the dice on those two guys. Yeah, Gavin asks, is that a player problem or a scheme problem? Because you want your defense to be complex doesn't mean it has to be too complex for your players too. And I mean, we, I think we talked about this, especially earlier in the season, it seemed like there was probably too much schematic wise that, that Al Golden might've been trying to do. Like there was too much on these guys plates and they weren't able, you know, to play as naturally as they want. I, you know, I, I do agree with that to an extent. Do you? Yeah, I do. I, I still, I think that there's something to be said for, you know, asking too much of guys and making things overly complicated, but still making it, (coughs) excuse me, still making it complex enough to give, you know, the opponent fits. You don't want something so simple and basic that a team can just come out and have their way with you. But at the same time, you don't want guys not understanding what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Someone else who had a good game was Jordan Botello getting to make his first start of the season and he looked good. He had nine total pressures against South Carolina, you know, made some plays in the backfield, both the sack tackle for loss. What did you think of uh, what you saw from him? You had, you had Batello and Justin Adam Alola playing opposite of each other quite a bit out there. Yeah. I thought that Botello clearly had, you know, the best game of his career. Like you talked about, He had a pass rush win percentage of nearly 21%. He had two sacks and added two solo tackles along the way. Um, And he really stepped up in Foskey's, you know, absence. That was a big question of could the D-line do enough, you know, with Adam Ayola not playing um, and Foskey being out. And I thought that they did a great job, largely because of someone, you know, like Botello. So 
I think that that is a great indication of what's, you know, to come going forward. Um, and again, it gives someone confidence that they know what they're doing and, they, and that they can have success. And, and I think the most admirable thing on, on Botello's end in this game, and I think this is what kind of, you know, people got to realize too sometimes is even if you aren't making a sack or making the tackle, if you are doing enough, the pass win percentage like you were talking about, the, you know, the 21%, if you're doing that and disrupting plays, that's almost as good as a sack or a tackle for loss because you're setting right. up someone else to make the play because you beat your guy so bad that they need to alter the course of what they're doing. And so I know it doesn't show up on the stat, seat, stat sheets. That's something like Micah Parsons is extremely good at is even when he's not getting sacks or tackles for loss, he's, he's completely disrupting. Yeah. disrupting the play and it allows for other guys you know, to, to, to make a play in, in, in his absence. Yeah. And this, you know, this is a good point too, you know, and it's, I think it's something that you see when you have NFL guys come back to college, you know, Anthony points out golden has to remember these kids don't have the time to invest in the defensive scheme like NFL players do, you know, because it's obviously a full-time job in the NFL and you're at Notre Dame. And like, you know, one thing Al Golden talked about early on was he kept talking about, oh, these guys are so smart and they get it and they can, you know, absorb all this stuff. And and maybe, you know, maybe he went too far with some of that because when you get them in August before and, you know, before school has started, they, again, they have more time for that. But when school starts and you're still implementing so much of this stuff, there's a lot on their plates. So as smart as they are, it just seemed like there was probably too much on their plates early on. So, yeah, again, we'll I, see how he adjusts and how just everyone have it, you know, everyone who's currently on the roster having a year in this system helps them as they get into spring and in fall training camp again next year. Yeah, I guess the, the number one thing I, I'm most confused about, and I know we all want to see the best players on the field at one time, and we know that athletically Sneed and Kali are the best, you know, at, at the linebacker position at Notre Dame right now. But it just seems like the, 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 we, that we have gone kind of defense of, you know, Sneed, Kali, and not realize guys like J.D. Bertrand have been playing out of their minds. And it's not uncommon for true freshman linebackers to not fully, you know, start or be in a role for a defense. And so the fact that these guys got playing time this year on special teams, got some snaps on defense, I think is very huge for their development. And I don't think it just because they performed bad or had some kind of deficiencies. I don't think that that's a direct correlation to the coaching. I think that it goes both ways, but at the end of the day, I still think that these guys are young and it's a big transition from high school to college. Like when I, I didn't even know about pulling guards and tackles when I was in high school, let alone what coverage I need to be in. Like there is a lot of information to process at one time. And so again, these guys are true freshmen and I understand that they're really good and really highly rated, but you still have to give them time and you have to let them soak in the defense. Like it is a lot. It is a lot to, to try to, you know, I remember sitting in some of my first meetings in training camp and we're going over defense and I'm just sitting there like lost the entire time. And I thought I was, the guy that was going to be smart and I'd be able to pick up the defense and, you know, da, 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 da. But it's, it's hard to learn these things, especially in two weeks when you have install, then you have a guy like JD Bertrand, who's been playing, you know, X years before these guys. And it's just that much easier for them. Cause I remember in my second year, 
like I, I the, the way the defense just clicked was so much better compared to my first year. So I kind of went on a rant there, but at the no, same time, I, I think that's I just very helpful put, because you played the position perspective into what you played the position on. at the college level, and it's the position that everyone's picking apart right now. I don't think that most people understand just how complicated it is because th those guys, as the linebackers, basically have to know everything they've got you to know, know where the entire ins and outs yes of the entire defense like you have to know everything you got to set strength you got to know where you're going pass and run wise again all in a span of like three seconds pre-snap so i just kind of wanted to talk through that a little bit <laughs> that's all right that's all right um i think everyone's you know had a had a good time venting on some of this stuff <laughs> tonight but you know i wanted to mention the fake punt that Braden Lindsay had, because again, I was, you know, I saw that when I was rewatching the game again today. And it's just amazing how simple that turned out to be. And it worked because South Carolina's left side of their line, the right side of the line for Notre Dame was basically in safe mode. Like they were, there was no disruption from that side of the line. There was no penetration and Brian Mason, but Mar Marcus Freeman and, you know, via Brian Mason, talked afterwards about how, you know, Notre Dame had punted previously and that's what you do. You know, that first time you punt, it's like, okay, you look for something. Are we getting the look that we need? And he saw that there was basically passivity on that side. And when there's no disruption, you know, they're not going to penetrate. You can basically use that passiveness against them. They were, you know, they were kind of sitting there sort of looking to see if there was going to be a fake and by doing that, it made them that much easier for Notre Dame to block. And they just do that little shovel pass and off goes Braden Lindsay for what, 20 plus yards. It was really the simplicity of the whole thing. Again, just using the fact that South Carolina was as passive as they were against them. Yeah. And honestly, when I was watching it in live time, I saw Lindsay go in motion. And I was like, what is going on here? I don't see think Sherwood like waving at him. Yeah. I don't think that you, I've seen that, you know, really like sometimes you see a, a, a gunner kind of motion. They might go like instead of splitting out the gunners one on one, they you motion one guy over and then you go dual gunners one side. But I don't know. I just I can't remember the last time I saw motion pre snap on a punt. Excuse me for a second. But realis realistically, what made that play work uh, was the three linebackers who were blocking out in front of Lindsey on that play and setting the edge. And I thought it was perfectly executed by guys like Bertrand and getting out there and being lead blockers for Lindsey as he's trying to get around the corner. Because one, there's obviously the art of surprise, but two, you still have to execute and hit your blocks. And I think that was the kind of underrated aspect of it. We all know Lindsey's got speed. And once he hits the corner, it's kind of game over. But you still got to set the edge and, you know, get on these blocks. And so I thought the execution of the play was more fascinating than, than the play itself, if that makes sense. No, it does. You know, and because you're right, you don't typically see that kind of motion. But again, because you're bringing that motion, you're bringing Lindsay from the left coming through the backfield and the snap is going, you know, to that that up man and it's a little shovel pass the offensive linemen are standing up so you're kind of you know that uh, Lindsay and the up man are shielded a little bit so it's hard for anybody really to see and then the next thing you know boom you know again he's coming around the edge perfectly sealed off on the edge but you know they set it 
and and it's and it's an easy run because he kind of gets you know again the the only real disruption came from Notre Dame's left side so even if they're penetrating there Lindsay is already past there so you don't have to worry about like him getting bumped off coming across in that motion through the backfield and it's just you know an easy snap to the up man and the shovel to the to that receiver who's got a full st- full head of steam and he's fast to begin with and he hits it. I thought it was just it was it was beautiful design, beautiful execution. Yeah, and the last thing I'll really say about it and and another reason why I liked it so much is oftentimes you see these one the biggest the when when trying to overall have success on a play like this the the number one thing is the art of surprise, but the number two thing is just the play design itself. And I feel like sometimes guys get too caught up with the perfect kind of trick play, but I really thought the simplicity of it is what made it so easy and executable for Notre Dame, because it's not like all these different guys are pulling or it's like a counter or like, you know, you're faking one way and going to the other. It was literally just a snap and a pitch to the guy as he's going in. It almost just looked like an offensive play, right? Like it, it wasn't anything crazy. So again, another reason why I liked that play so much, it was so easy to execute. There wasn't a lot of chances for air. It was a simple pitch or, you know, snap the ball, pitch it to the guy as he's going in motion and just hope your guys get blocks on the edge. Yep. I agree. Anthony is uh, asking change of subject. What choice was made for the Friday show? The name of the Friday show, who came up with the selection? Uh, we have not been able to come to any kind of consensus on it is still a, up uh, on a name, and you know, part of that it has to do with the boss, and you know, it's like we haven't seen the choice that everyone can agree on at this point. So <laughs> we're 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 kind of putting that on the back burner for right now. We'll, we'll see what ends up happening with that. That's definitely a back burner right now but I we do appreciate tuning in on all the suggestions there's just been nothing nothing that can uh can be agreed upon <laughs>